today on Ag News Daily. Folks that, that know both organizations know that we aren't always aligned on policy. Um, and we felt this was bigger than, than either one of our organizations. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell. Flying solo today. I was about to say joined by Ashton Carr, but I do not have Ashton on the podcast with me today. She's actually out substitute teaching. How exciting. She's got her college degree. She's now ready to take on the world of substitute teaching. I think I would be maybe looking for something different personally, but uh, I hope it's going well for her today. I'll be flying the podcast solo. And before we get to today's part two of the opioid story, opioid piece, if you will, from yesterday that we started. So for those folks who haven't listened to yesterday's episode, you might want to go back and at least re-listen to that interview portion because that is what ties into today's episode. But before we get to today's interview, we've got to talk about a little bit of uh, news that's going on for today. The first of which is, of course, commodity markets, as I am paying much closer attention to those day in and day out since joining Trader PhD. We have seen soybeans have a big turnaround day today, big reversal day, really, as we saw them now reaching back up towards new six-year highs, fresh six-year highs. We're seeing, again, persistent widespread dryness in Argentina. We did see, as Ashton mentioned, I believe yesterday, that Argentina has officially ended their port strike. So that was somewhat unfavorable for markets yesterday, but we saw things explode higher today. And really, there's not a lot of news to move that market fundamentally other than the continued dryness going on in South America. So it's definitely a technical move at this point, I would say. And it is definitely an exciting time to be a soybean farmer, not so much an end user, but... We'll talk a little bit more about the markets on Monday. Until then, France is going to have to kill hundreds of thousands of ducks because of a bird flu outbreak that I believe Ashton also reported on yesterday. But now the total is up to about 400,000 different ducks that they will be wiping out in that population. So really a pretty large impact that that could have if you're a duck eater. I am not a huge one myself, but... If you are a duck-eating fan, now might be the time to stock up on your duck. You never know uh, uh, how this avian bird flu will affect the marketplace. And again, I don't think, you know, U.S., most of the time it's not a huge portion of our tastes and preferences, but it certainly is in other countries, uh, especially in France. But in other news, we have some tightening regulations for the timber industry. Vietnam's wood industry, more more importantly here, is under investigation by the U.S. Trade Representative's Office for allegedly importing illegally harvested or traded timber. And now we are vowing to tighten regulations, or I, I should say Vietnam is vowing to tighten regulations and buy more American lumber and able to avoid any sort of punitive tariffs that would put be put on in place of that or in lieu of that investigation that is going on. Now, I didn't realize this when I first saw this piece of news. A coworker of mine actually pointed this out to me because you might be thinking the lumber industry. Is that really something that is a huge one? 
between the United States and Vietnam. And let me tell you that it actually is. Vietnam provides about, let me make sure I get this right here, I want to say about 50% of, or gets 50% of their lumber from the United States. And yeah, about $6.5 billion of agricultural lumber shipments headed to Vietnam in the year of 2020. And Vietnam purchased, sorry, just 40% of U.S. timber. So it's a pretty big chunk of timber that we might be missing out on here as Vietnam has tried to circumvent the process. So we will continue to watch that story. For those of you who trade lumber futures, this could be very important or very um, important to keep in mind if you are trying to short or long contracts. This definitely could move markets here. So just another little piece of news to keep an eye on moving forward. Definitely a little bit of a market mover or could be, but... In other news, as we look at what's going on out in Washington, D.C., we're getting ready to change administrations over here. And I know we haven't really acknowledged what's going on in the grand scheme of things. I don't really want to. You've probably seen enough going on in the mainstream news about everything going on out right now in Washington, D.C. But I did just want to touch on here briefly that we are starting to see some of those aid checks go out. Those uh, $600 aid checks are starting to go out according to the administration. So if you made less than $75,000, if you were an individual single filing for those, you would have or should have started to receive those. And I believe it was 150000 if you were a couple. Don't, don't hold me to that one. But those checks are starting to go out and hit people's bank accounts. And lastly, Smithfield is preparing to make vaccines available to employees. They said that within the next 60 days, they are going to be deemed or have been deemed critical employees and are going to be able to start offering official distribution for the COVID-19 vaccine to their employees. Now, officials of the company, including the company's chief administrator, administrative officer, Kiera Lombardo, says that it could take, you know, a little while. And as far as distribution goes, it's going to vary a little bit by state. And so timeframes, they don't have firm timeframes at this time. But they expect it to happen here within the next 60 days. So that's definitely very supportive for the protein industry. So we don't things ever, you know, shut down again like we had to see earlier this year, earlier back in April and March. That definitely takes its toll on the uh, supply chain. So it doesn't seem that we will have to deal with that again. And... Another quick piece of market updated news here I should have mentioned earlier. As we continue to talk about soybean export sales, dealing with a drier than normal South American weather pattern, and China continuing to rebuild their hog herd. So far, U.S. outstanding net sales of soybeans for the 2021-2022 marketing year have been going really quite well. So far, the Exports are totaled at 892,000 metric tons, according to the latest USDA data, and an additional 130,000 tons of that headed to quote-unquote unknown destinations. So we are 
shipping soybeans. We are seeing markets rally. We are seeing really a demand-driven market here. And not only that, but the technicals are looking pretty good as well. We'll talk a little bit more about those technicals on Monday, of course, for our Market Monday episode. But in the meantime, I think it's time we talk some markets for today. And as I mentioned, soybeans were having a nice reversal today after closing lower on the day yesterday. Corn and wheat were a little mixed today, but kicking things off here first in the March corn contract up two and three quarters cent to close at 496 and a quarter. The December down half a cent to close at 440 and a half. In the soybean pits, the January contract up 15 and a quarter centicles at 1375. The March up 19 and a half centicles at 1374 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, Chicago March contract pulling back three and a half centicles at 638 and three quarters. The D's down two centicles at 641 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits down half a centicles at 440 and a half. In the soybean pits, the January contract up 15 and a quarter centicles at 1375. The March up 19 and a half tickles at 1374 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, Chicago March contract pulling back three and a half cents tickles at 638 and three quarters. The D's down two tickles at 641 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits, red across the red across the complex as the February live cattle contract shed 50 cents to close at 114.47. The April down 20 to close at 119.30. And in feeder cattle, January today, 87.5 cents lower to close at 135.82.5. The March down 75 to close at 136.82.5. And in lean hogs, February down 42.5 cents at 68.70, while the April down 22.5 to close at 72.82.5. And drowning out our market today for the Class 3 dairy milk futures, February up 24 to close at 19.70, the March down 6 to close at 19.07. Without further ado, let's pick up our part 2 of the opioid crisis. Ray, um, thank you for being a part of this uh, session as well. I wondered if you could speak to uh, how you got connected with Connie and uh, what Farm Bureau is doing more on uh, taking a stance on opioids uh, here. Sure, thank you. Um, I think, you know, I wanted to say first off, Connie, thank you so much for being on on here to to let people hear your story. I mean, you, you said that there's the only two things we can really do is education and prayer. I totally agree. But I think the other one is just people like you telling their stories because we know that stigma is such a huge barrier to treatment and to even, you know, when people won't even talk about something that's going on that they know they have, you know, um, are struggling with, uh, then it just contributes so much to the problem. And so it's really courageous of you to come forward and, and be willing to share your story and be willing to let other folks know, you know, it doesn't have to happen to you. And, and there's things that, you know, that you've been through that I know you don't want to see other folks go through. So thank you for that. Um, uh, when we we became aware of this, um, not, I won't say we became aware of this issue, but in 2017, we started working on this issue because we were hearing stories like Connie's and, and from families and, you know, farm families and rural families. And what we learned through all this is, unfortunately, that these stories are way too common um, and that people don't really have an understanding that, you know, when you talk about opioid addiction, people think of heroin addicts in urban, you know, environment, city street or whatever. 
And actually in rural America, it's, it's a worsening problem and it's growing faster and has been growing faster in rural America than in, in urban, you know, in big cities um, for, all, for several years. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. And part, part of it is, I think, you know, the distance and the, and the availability of treatment and, and stigma and all these things. So, you know, we, we started hearing these things. And um, we, so we started talking with uh, National Farmers Union uh, back in, in 2017 to see how could we really, what could we do? You know, we, it's such a huge problem that, that uh, you know, you just kind of don't know what to do. And um, at that point, so, um, and I think a lot of people were really interested to, to see that we were sitting down, the American Farm Bureau sitting down with National Farmers Union to talk about an issue like this because, um, folks that, that know both organizations know that we aren't always aligned on policy. Um, and we felt this was bigger than, than either one of our organizations. And it's bigger than policy. We decided we weren't going to focus on policy. We we're going to focus on, as Connie was talking about, education, uh, awareness, and trying to do something to address stigma. And so we sat down with Farmers Union in 2017 and we said, well, we know this is a huge problem. We know there's a lot of stigma. We know it's affecting farmers and rural communities in terrible ways, but we wanted to have some data to, to back that up. You know, we knew all these things anecdotally, but we wanted to know the scope of the problem. So we commissioned a, a national uh, morning consult research survey to just survey rural, uh, rural adults and farmers, you know, subset of rural adults, obviously, um, to find out the scope of the problem and what people's awareness was and what they thought were things that were contributing to the problem and what could help. And that's where I think a, a lot of people was very, um, it was very um, um, big in the news at that time. You heard the talking point that three and four farmers had been impacted by opioid abuse, either by knowing someone that um, had been impacted or they themselves had been impacted or a friend or a family member. And so that was a huge point to us. I mean, I don't think even, you know, like I said, we knew there was a big problem, but we didn't know how big. And we also asked, um, we asked people, do you know? Do you think rural communities are being impacted as much as as um, as um, you know, urban areas? And folks really were unaware of that. They um, they said um, only 31% knew that um, that rural communities are impacted the most. And also about that same percentage, about a third, said that they believed that stigma was a big problem in their local community and that it was a barrier to to solving this problem. So we, um, ha having all that information, you know, quantifiable information, we, um, we started developing the Farm Town Strong campaign, working with National Farmers Union. And so on that, you know, we have a website there, um, farmtownstrong.org, and I'm sure you all know about. Um, and on there, we, so, one of the things that we found early on is if, if you're having a crisis or your family member's having a crisis and you go type, uh, type in opioid treatment or, or opioid crisis help, whatever, you get like 800,000 results and some of them are reputable and some of them are kind of, you know, not so reputable. And so we thought what we need is really someplace people can go 
and just a very user-friendly, simple, not a thousand things to read, but three or four things to go for, for help. And so on that site, you know, there's a there's a um, overview of our research. There's, uh, for instance, there's a link to the SAMHSA uh, substance abuse substance abuse and mental health um, uh, administration treatment locator. So you can go in, say, if you live in Des Moines, Iowa, you put in your zip code, and it'll pop up all treatment for um, different kinds of things, whether it's um, medication assistant assisted treatment or um, counseling or whatever kind of thing you're looking for. There's information there on drug disposal, including home drug disposal, um, and um, and also on prevention. And I think that, that's what we're talking about right now. You know, this is why this is so important because, again, people are really unaware of um, the problem and the scope. And I think kind of people, because of stigma, think, well, it couldn't happen to me. It just won't happen. And they kind of put it aside and don't want to think about it. So. Prevention is a really important thing. And I will say, you know, we worked with uh, 4-H and FFA throughout you know, this campaign to get that message out to um, to youth, because that's where it starts. If if kids understand, you know, the danger and understand that this is not just um, kind of parents being negative or whatever kids think, you know, that they understand that there's real real dangers here that, that you can't control. You know, I think that that's a real key to that. And um they both both of those organizations did a lot to to helping um, you know kids understand and, and I'll also say that when kids get these messages a lot of times the, the kids will take it back to their parents and their grandparents you know they'll say hey grandpa did you know like having those um, those pills from your back surgery sitting in your medicine cabinet you probably, that's probably a bad thing because you know if you don't need it you should dispose of those drugs and they're safe disposal and things like that because. For instance, we know that um, a lot of uh, opioid uh, overdoses, accidental and otherwise, are from the home medicine cabinet. So, you know, we, we've uh, we've we've done a lot of work. We're really proud of our work with um, with Farmers Union and uh, and Farm Town and our Farm Town Strong, and we're really proud of people like Connie that are stepping up to to tell their stories because we know it is not easy. Well, Ray, thank you for, for sharing that. And I think now is a good time to open it up for questions. If attendees want to join in for a live Q&A session, they are welcome to do that now. Just uh, raise your hand and we will get those questions answered. In the meantime, uh, I wanted to ask a question of Connie, actually. Ray, you talked a lot about um, stigma when it comes to opioid overdose and how that remains really strong in rural America. Connie, I wondered if you had some thoughts. Um, how do we continue to normalize the conversation around it? I grew up in a rural area and we would hear all the time about, um, you know, challenges uh, with drugs and overdose, but it, it would always seem like it was a hard topic to cover for parents because my parents never talked to me about it hardly. Yes, um, I, it is a difficult topic. Um, I think the conversation is what's needed, though, <clears throat> not just with the kids, but even with, you know, the grandparents and um, anybody, because like Ray said, a lot of it starts, too, just from your own medicine cabinet. And um, I think it's really good to have that conversation going because that's the only way people are going to be feel like 
they're not being judged and that the stigma is is not there. When I first found out that Marissa died from an overdose, I was embarrassed. I was sad. I felt like um, a bad parent. Um, but, you know, you got to get past that because uh, this can happen to anybody. There is no discrimination, no age, no color, no nothing. So everyone needs to be aware of it. Uh, I even tell people, if you have any suspicion, even in middle school, start drug testing your kids. Because if anything, it gives them an easy out. If you're drug testing them, then they're going to think more than twice about doing something because they know that they're going to be drug tested. And that's that makes it easier on the kid for peer pressure. Talking to your kids um, is very important. And I think bringing these speakers into the school may, has made a huge impact on our community. Um, like I said, I've got people that just text me because they know that I'm, I, I'm open to them contacting me and me getting them help. Uh, I have people who tell other people who I've never even met and I'm getting them help. If there's somebody out there that needs help, contact me. I will be so happy to give you the help you need. If I can do it, I will. My next question is open to either of you. How can we... Um as just human beings be there for someone who's going through a challenge like this or um, struggling in this capacity? How can we be good help to them? You could be a good listener. Um, you don't want to enable them, of course, because that just makes it worse. Um, when they're ready for help, they're going to ask you for it. You can't really force them into it. But just know, let them know that that door is open, you know, that that helps available. This is this is a disease that is affecting one out of three households. And um, you don't want them to feel ashamed or like they've um, like they've disappointed you if it's a child or whatever. You just you, you want to get them the help they need. Yeah, I would you know and add to that. You didn't use the word, but, uh, you know, when you're saying be a good listener, it's absolutely what it is. And it's letting them know you're not trying to judge them. You're not trying to pass judgment. You're not trying to you're saying, look, it's you know, I, I understand because the stigma is so strong. People don't want to talk about it. I think it's probably part of it. They feel like they're going to be judged if they if they open up and admit something or, you know, talk about something. So, um, yeah, I think, again, you know, and, and just having that having that open ear and being able to listen in, in a non-judgmental way. Thank you both for taking time to answer a few questions. Is there any closing thoughts you'd like to share as we wrap things up today? Maybe start with Connie. Well, um, our motto is knowledge is a powerful tool against drug and alcohol abuse. And I think the earlier you start educating, the better off the child will be in making a better choice. Um, but we do need some treatment centers to start 
um, opening up more of them because we've got so many people in need. And now with COVID, it's really become a big struggle because they can only use half of the beds that they typically would use. So typically the people who can't afford treatment are the ones that are kind of pushed aside. And um, I wish I could help more of them too. But if anybody has a need for help, please feel free, marissaspurpose.org, contact me. Ray, is there anything else you'd like to add? Sure, I'd just, uh, again, just like to, uh, again, thank you, Connie. Thank Connie for, for your story. Um, and certainly people who, anybody that's uh, that's looking for any of the, the help that I mentioned before, go to farmtownstrong.org and there's a, a tab right at the top says get help now. And it's all the things that you talked about. We talked about disposal and treatment and prevention and all those kind of things. So uh, I think it's a, a very easy to use and simple um, uh, resource that I'd um, encourage people to check out. Well, again, that was a, another week we are wrapping up here on the ag news daily podcast folks be sure to check out any past episodes you might have missed this week by heading to agnewsdaily.com or following along with us on social media find us on facebook twitter and instagram at ag news daily without further ado i'll let y'all go and we'll see you right back here on monday for another market monday episode